She's a former police officer. She went through one of the most nightmarish situations anyone can imagine when her fiancé, also a police officer, was shot and killed. She was on scene and he died in her arms. Her life unraveled dramatically. She's here to tell her story on the Law Enforcement Today show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders, because at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at fhehealth.com. That's fhehealth.com. Under programs, you'll find details about Shatterproof. Contacting us from South Florida, we have Miriam Bev Perez on the phone. She goes by Bev. She is a former Prince George's County, Maryland police officer, which is outside Washington, D.C. I know the very area very well. And uh, she is also a, a well, she offers wellness retreats for police officers. Her program, you can find details at shieldus.app. Also, she does groups. And, and support work for Shatterproof for first responders in Deerfield Beach. Uh, Bev, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. And i got to warn people, we talk about really tough things on the Law Enforcement Today show. I'll be totally honest with you. There aren't stories that are tougher than what Bev went through. You did 10 years in the Prince George's County, Maryland Police Department, correct? Yes, I did 10 years with the Prince George County Police Department. The last time that I actually wore a uniform was on March 13 of 2016. You had a very illustrious, successful career until a nightmare occurred that you were on scene for. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Um, so basically what ended up happening throughout my years, uh, I had one role as a police officer, and that was to not date another police officer um, for various reasons. And I ended up falling in love with another police officer that worked for the department. And at the time, Jakai, his name, he was working undercover on March 13 of 2016. I was responding to an active shooter situation where three individuals, um, one of them decided he wanted suicide by cop, and he ends up going to our headquarters and starts firing at our headquarters. It's a really busy area. Also, our headquarters houses, you know, our chief, command staff, detectives, and some civilians. So it's a really, really busy area. And the backdrop on the other side from headquarters is a shopping center and residential area. 
So as this person was shooting at headquarters, he was also shooting at cars that were driving by and just everyone. That's when I heard kind of the commotion going on over the radio. I was working patrol. I was working a special assignment that was at headquarters. So I was heading there anyway. However, at the time, Jakai, we had been together for three years at this point, and he was working undercover, and he was actually on his way to headquarters to drop off food for me. So, you know, you can imagine the first thing on my mind was Jakai's there. He's sitting ducks, you know, with the food while this active shooter situation is going on. So my immediate thought was, I'm driving priority to the scene, but I also need to let him know what's going on and get him out of the area, you know, with the unmarked cars like there's no dispatch there's no radio just doesn't know what's going on so I give him a call and I just remember having him on speakerphone as I'm driving priority to this call and things are intensifying on scene I can hear just chaos going on over the radio and I'm trying to keep a calm tone and telling him hey you know babe just get out the area there's an active shooter He's like, what's going on? And he's kind of trying to understand. He can hear the feedback of the radio. I have him on speakerphone in one hand while I'm driving priority with the other hand. And I remember as I'm making the turn onto Barlow Road, which is where our headquarters was located, I heard faintly like 13 shots. And I had to tell you, it's like my heart, it's like my heart sank. And I, I started to panic at that moment. I actually have the dash cam video of that day. And I, I, I'm like hitting the steering wheel and I'm like, babe, babe, but cause I, he's not responding anymore. And I just felt like something happened for whatever reason. It was a rainy Sunday, but I had my windows down. And as I'm driving up, I turned my lights and sirens on and I heard, like I can hear Jakai screaming police. That's when I noticed that he was laying and he had been shot. He was on the ground. Oh. I was trained, before you go further, I was trained to keep my windows at least halfway down, no matter what the weather was, you could hear. That's what it is, right? We're always trained that always is the case that there's somebody screaming for help or something. That's just what we do. That's right. So you could hear like gunshots in the distance. And number one, when we have these calls and it's a priority call, we've said that several times, there are serious heavy duty calls and there are routine calls you get multiple times a day. One of the things that happened for me, Bev, is that my heart rate would start to go up. My adrenaline started to go up on these serious, heavy-duty calls. And your mind is going through the checklist. A, number one, get there. Be safe. Number two, what am I going to do when I get there? How do I mm-hmm. neutralize? How do I keep the place safe? What do I do to, for the crime scene? I don't want to mess this up. Then you throw into the mix, your fiance's there. I, look, that's a lot to take on. It's a lot, and it's literally just like that. You're thinking about, I have to get there, I have to get there safe, is the scene safe, am I going to be safe, what am I going to do? And then I'm like, Jakai's there. Where is he? How do I get him out of there? Is he going to be okay? And he was a police officer, too. You said he was an undercover police officer, so he was no slouch. He knew what he was doing. He was a a pro. Yeah, he had been on, I think at that time he had been on, Jakai had been on like three, four years. He was new, but he was Oh, no, wait a second. I understand breaking the rules that I, I'm not going to date another police officer. I get that 100%. I went through that too. Then you go for someone younger. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was younger. He was younger, and I was a senior corporal on the squad when we were on the squad together when we started dating, but we didn't tell anybody. Right. So, yeah, he was younger. It was a lot of red flags. I, I was like, but, you know, it was everything about him. I, it was I get it. everything I, about him. Look, so. I'm not faulty. I'm just having fun with you. But one of the things <laughs> I want to point out is – 
we're protectors. If you don't come into this job as a protector, you learn that in your early days. And 10 years on a job, you definitely had that down. So it's not unusual for you to want to protect people on scene and your thoughts immediately go to your fiance. How do I protect them? How do I make sure they're okay? Correct. Absolutely. It's the preservation of life, right? And if you're going to protect and serve anybody, it's going to be your loved ones. Absolutely. We're, we're talking my, with my yeah. Bev, Miriam Bev Perez, former Prince George's County, Maryland police officer. Got so much more to talk about. Believe me, it gets really, really heavy from this point on. She is also uh, offers wellness retreats for police officers. Her program, you can be found at shieldus.app. And she is also a group leader for Shatterproof for first responders in Deerfield Beach. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Every year, more first responders die from suicide than in the line of duty. Do you feel like giving up because of PTSD or other symptoms? Call FHE Health at 833-776-1420 to learn about our specialized treatment program for first responders evidence-based therapies for trauma, depression, and other issues, innovative neurotechnologies that relieve symptoms and speed brain recovery, peer support groups with others who understand what it's like. FHE Health can help you show up for the people who depend on you as a happier, healthier version of you. Because life is so much better with you around. Call FHE Health now at 833-776-1420 online at FHEHealth.com. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to LETRadioShow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at LETRadioShow.com. It's the Law Enforcement Show returning to our conversation with Miriam Bev Perez, a former Prince George's County, Maryland, police officer her program offers wellness retreats for police officers shieldus.app she's also a group leader for shatterproof for first responders in deerfield beach florida get more details about their program phenomenal fhehealth.com before winter break bev we were talking about you get this hot call for an active shooter at the police headquarters building it's suspected he wants to commit suicide by cop your fiance, who's also a police officer undercover, is at the scene. You're on the phone with them. You hear multiple gunshots. And does panic start to set in then, or is it a little bit later on? Panic starts to set in then. It's like you can feel it. It's that immediate connection that you have with someone that you know something horrible has just happened. So I immediately I felt something. So as I'm approaching closer to the scene, approaching closer to the suspect, I'm looking for Jakai because I'm like, wait a minute. I just had him now. I don't have him anymore. He's not responding. I'm completely in panic mode. Where is he? Where is he? And that's when I heard him. Uh, Jakai had been shot and he was trying to identify himself. He was yelling police. However, he was choking on his blood. So it was kind of like a struggle the way he was trying to scream it. And I heard him. At that point, I did everything I was trained to do, right? I I had a crown Vic, so I backed my car up and put it in a 45-degree angle, kind of knowing that the hood of the crown Vic houses all that metal, that it'll shield him. I duck-walked around the side of my car. I shielded him with my body, and when I pointed my weapon out to see who was firing, 
all I saw was police officers. So at that moment, I holstered my weapon and I just held him. I mean, at that point, I knew. Yeah, there was you, nothing you I can, could do. And two things. Number one, after a few years on the street, you develop somebody called Spidey sense in movies, but you develop this police sense, and you can tell when things are really bad. Number one. Number two, and I hate to say this because he's a loved one. When it's a fatal wound with anybody, you can not, it's not a guarantee, but you can pretty much tell. Yeah. And it's, you it's, can, you can really, pretty much tell. There's really, it's really hard to talk about because I, I'll be honest. I wrote an, an article for the Facebook page for the law enforcement radio show. It's called I lied many times as a cop. And it's not about court. It's not about testifying court. It's not about nefarious reasons. It's, you know, people who are dying, taking their last breath, and you're, you're talking to them. And quite often, the last thing that someone saw for the exit of this earth was a face of a, a Baltimore police officer, in my case, in your case, Prince George's County. That happens all across the United States, and you lie, and you're talking to them. Come on, hang on. Help's on our way. You're going to be okay. It's not that bad. All those things. Mm-hmm. Was, that, mm-hmm. was that part of your conversation? So the last thing I remember just looking, I remember shooting him with my body. And I'm looking at him, and he's still trying to identify himself. He's still yelling police, but he's choking. His eyes are kind of rolling back. He's yelling police, police, like that choking. And I just remember looking at him, and I was like, baby, I got you. Like, I got you. And he stopped yelling police, and he looked at me. And I'm holding him, and then he closed his eyes. How old was was he when he was killed? Jakai was March 13th, 2016. 27, I want to say, and he would have been turning 28 on the 17th on St. Patty's Day. So he was killed just days before his birthday. First of all, I'm sorry this happened to anybody. I'm sorry you went through this. I'm sorry it happened to Jakai. And I'm sorry that it happened to the countless people, you know, on the streets that were not police. Um, It impacts their family tremendously. And I, I would love to have the right words. This is the old cop in me. I want to be the fixer. I want to have the right words to say that I'll right. make things better. I don't have them. I'm not God. Right. I, I can't make it better. I can't make it go away. And I'm sure you realize at some point that you, you didn't possess the power to undo this, to make things better. No. No. And and what ended up happening, he ended up getting, he got shot on the side, um, on the side of his body. And, you know, as, as we know, bullets enter, they're looking for exits, and it bounced all around his body, giving him internal bleeding. However, I was determined to do something, and I, we put uh, his body in my cruiser, in the back of my cruiser, and I drove him to what felt like the longest drive ever to the nearest hospital, Prince George's Hospital. And he didn't make it. We later, of course, we determined later that another officer shot Ja'Kai and mistaken him for a suspect. And here's the the part that I referenced earlier. There are certain nightmares I had in police work. And without belaboring the point, one of them was the the gun didn't work when you need it. And the second one was that Mm -hmm. it shot an innocent person and and or one of your partners. And I, I don't want to belabor this point. I know that officer had no intention of harming someone else. And uh, again, this is just that feeling I have Bev, where it's like, there's no winners in this case at all. No. Everybody loses. And I, you know, and I struggled with this for a long time. You know, of course, I struggled with it for a long time. However, I finally got to a place where, much like what you said, nothing in my heart tells me that this officer woke up 
saying, I'm going to go shoot and kill Ja'Kai Colton. You know, nothing in my heart tells me that he did this purposefully or with malice. It's a horrible, horrible mistake. And I've, I've forgiven him. However, this officer, from what I understand, you know, he won't talk to me. I've actually tried to reach out to him to let him know that I forgive him. You tried to talk to him? I've I've tried, man. It, but he's, I, I'll uh, be honest with you. I don't know if I can, can have that conversation. If, if roles reverse and I was that, that guy, I don't mm-hmm. know if I could have that conversation with you. I, I, I think deep down yeah. there's part of me is too much of a coward. I'm, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. That's really what it is. I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. And people tell me all the time. The worst has already happened. You can't make it worse. Right. So, uh, you know, I, he's he's in my thoughts. I'm saying he. They could be male, female. It doesn't matter. You know, from what I understand, he's no longer with the department. Like I said, I tried to reach out to him through other means, like his relatives that I know that are like on social media. And I tried to talk to them and they're like, hey, he won't talk to anybody, you know, so. I always try to, you know, put the message out there. If he listens to anything, whether it's this or whatever else I do, I always yeah, if say, he, hears like, this, he, he can him. reach out to me if, if he wants to yeah. have a conversation with Bev and I volunteer to be the go between. Thank there, you. There's had to be a point where, and we're going to talk about how dramatically this impacted your life uh, in a few moments. I want to just do a brief overview Bev was a uniformed police officer for many years in Prince George's County, Maryland, which is outside of Washington, D.C. Her fiance, who was an undercover officer, was shot and killed by another police officer accidentally during an active shooter scene at the headquarters building, and he died in her arms. When we return to our conversation with Bev on the Law Enforcement Day show, we will talk about the dramatic impact this had on her and what she did to rebuild her life. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Every day you put on your uniform and go to work, someone may be counting on you to be there for them in a life or death situation because emergencies can happen at any time and to anyone. The question is, where do first responders turn when they are in crisis? At FHE Health, our specialized treatment program has helped many first responder families successfully manage PTSD, addiction, and other mental health issues. Struggling? Call FHE Health today at 833-776-1420 or online at FHEHealth.com. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Return our conversation with Miriam Bev. As her preferred name, Perez, former Prince George's County, Maryland police officer. Her fiance police officer was shot and killed by another officer in an active shooter situation. And she is here to talk about that. She's also offers wellness retreats for police officers. Her website, shieldus.app, the shieldus.app. And she leads groups for Shatterproof First Responder Health Program at FHE here in Deerfield Beach. Go online for their program. Get more details, FHE Health. 
Dot-com. Look under services and shatterproof. You'll find it there. So we're going back to this really tough conversation. And by the way, the conversation, you're doing much better than I am. Your fiance, an undercover officer, was shot. He took his dying breaths in your arms. And it was an accidental shooting. There's there's no way of prettying this up, so I'm not even going to try. And then you had the whole police funeral. For those who don't know about this, this is a serious, heavy-duty situation. Uh, can you talk about that? Yes. Um, I think the hardest thing to have to deal with is the survivor's guilt. As you sit there and you try to think about the preservation of life, protect and serve, you know, that's that's what we do. And if there's anybody that I was going to protect and serve, it's my loved one, Tim, and I couldn't do it. And I lived with that. Uh, You know, I don't know what anybody or you know about internal bleeding, but that's just not something, you know, that um, you can really blame yourself for or any situation like this for that matter. Logic doesn't enter into that when, for me, it didn't. And there's nothing you can do about internal bleeding. There's a lot you can do about sucking chest wounds. There's other wounds you can do something about. Internal bleeding, you can't. And, you know, it it doesn't, just the way that it played out was the way that it had to play out. However, in your mind, in that moment, you know, for me, the thing I was thinking about was that I couldn't save him. And so I lived with that and the guilt, the shame, everything that came along with that. Uh, September of 2016, I had my suicide attempt. And I don't know why I chose the Dominican Republic. However, I just went on a solo trip and I knew that on my last day in the Dominican Republic, I was going to have my attempt. I sent my suicide note to a dear friend. She then reached out to relatives on Facebook who then contacted the hotel to get security, to get police and to send me back to America. And here I am. Um, I just remember seeing my mother's face when I got back stateside and I just said to her like mom are you are you mad at me and she's had this look on her face and she's like I'm not mad at you I'm just sad because I don't know how to help you right and the look that she had on her face I I vowed to never be the reason why my mother looked like that so I had to start choosing life for her until eventually I started choosing life for me can I say this I'm glad you were not successful I'm very glad you're not you. I've met Bev before I, I want to meet her and do more things together. Of course, you know, that's one thing to go from the death of Jakai to your suicide attempt. There's a lot of things that happen in between. And yes. I, I know we can do the Reader's Digest condensed versions. Somewhere along the line, you said survivor's guilt was a big part of this. I, I'm thinking post-traumatic stress is a big part of this as well, although I'm not a clinician uh, in the slightest. I don't pretend to be one. When did you start seeing a change in you? It was interesting. Uh, the the immediate, immediate, immediate depression, desire to not want to eat, bathe, drink anything, that I couldn't sleep, like all of that, you know, my body, that started coming up. However, when I started noticing actual like post-traumatic kind of symptoms was when I was called to, I was called to my station, to my police station, and I had to sign something to say whether I was going to they, they literally asked me if I would work desk duty and I, I was willing to do it. You know, as far as I was concerned, I was still going to be a police officer that I had no other idea of anything else. Right. Because we're so 
we're so one dimensional when we're in it. And it's like, well, whatever else will I do? You know, so I was like, I have to go back to work. So I went to the station and I remember it was the darnest thing. I get there and I see all the cruisers in the parking lot and I just felt like vomiting. And I was like, whatever, you know, maybe I just don't feel good today because I haven't been eating for days. By the time I, I get out of the car, I see officers in uniforms walking in and out of the station and I could hear obviously their radios and I started shaking. And I'm like, what the what was happening? I get into the major's office and I see him and I'm in the building now. I'm in my station, which isn't the one where the incident happened. It's a different location. And I'm shaking. There was a form that he was asking me to sign. And my hands were literally shaking so much that I couldn't sign the form. And then I started to throw up and they were like, you need to go home. You just need to go home. That's when I noticed that's PTSD. Even seeing cruisers, hearing dispatch, seeing uniforms, being at a police station made me literally sick. It took me back right back to that scene. It took me right back to that place. And it literally made me sick to my stomach. And I was shaking. And it was like this weird thing. Like I was spiraling and I just couldn't. And I had to, they had to send me back home. I couldn't even sign the paperwork. I was just shaking. How long, At that after, moment, how long after that incident did this start happening? I think in a, in a week. They they were asking about death duty a week or, or within a month, something like that. Because I hadn't, I went to, I didn't even go back to my home. I went to my brother's house and I was staying there. And I think, you know, they gave me a couple of days or whatever. I think they waited for the funeral. I don't know the actual timeline. It was less than a month or a month. And then they asked me to come to the station. They were like, hey, are you willing to do desk duty? Um, you know, what is this going to look like for you? Kind of like next steps. And that was my first time going yeah. back and being around, you know, that environment. And I was completely, it was completely sick. You and I both know, and that's their way of trying to reach out to make sure you're okay. And uh, departments all across the country do this. And I, I'm not going to go into a long rant about we should know better. When you were offered the job of working the desk, they were taking you on the streets because they were concerned about your welfare, your mental state. And I would even say so much as their own civil liability. Am I correct? Right. Yeah, right. You know, with my department, I don't take it personal the way they handle things. I just think it's a lack of education, a lack of compassion. That's the point. Yeah. And they're checking off the boxes, man. That's they're checking the point. off the boxes. That's what it is, right? They got it. They have a they have a standard of image yeah. they gotta upkeep. And so it's they're also, gonna say, Hey, I, I did what I had to do, right? It's I also off the boxes. It's there's a big difference in my mind between command staff, which a lot of them are politicians, is all they are, and right. the political brass that rule counties, cities, whatever it might be. A lot of what they do is dictated by the bean counters, the accountants. Uh, and the politicians that run these jurisdictions. They're the ones Correct. who oversee the department. So you you were clearly in the the signs of distress for you were obvious. Yes. Did anybody also, from your agency reach out and say, hey, we got some help for you. We, we've got some resources to help you out. Uh, as part of the checkbox list, we do have a shrink that they had come see me. However, the approach wasn't wasn't well, you know, um, oh, yeah. I think they just, they just, they just did what they had to do, if you know what I mean. And as you know, we do have those doctors in our department, some of which we don't trust. We don't oh. talk to them. And for so good reason. Kind of one this of those things. Like, l- yeah, it's like, I'm not going to talk, like, I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> uh, it's difficult. We're talking with Miriam Bev Perez, a former Prince George's County, Maryland police officer about the incident where her fiance, also an undercover police officer was shot and killed. 
and died in her arms. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. This is Law Enforcement Today show. We're going to take a short break. We will be right back, so don't you go anywhere. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. Miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're turning our conversation with Miriam Bev Perez, former Prince George's County, Maryland police officer. Her fiance, also an undercover police officer, was shot and killed by, accidentally by another officer during an active shooter situation at the headquarters building. She offers wellness retreats for police officers. Get more details at her website, shieldus.app. That's shieldus.app. She also leads groups to help first responders at Shatterproof for first responders in Deerfield Beach. Go to fhehealth.com. Look for programs, Shatterproof. You'll find it right there. Phenomenal organization doing awesome things to rebuild uh, lives and, and rehabilitate careers. When we left for a break, man, we're talking about the, the things that departments do. And one thing I tell people, look, I love law enforcement officers. I really do. I loved my career. And there's one thing for certain. You can love it all day long. It's not going to love you back. And you're going to pay a price. Correct. One of the things I tell people that if you want to go into working in law enforcement, one of the things you should do, we have a dentist we go see hopefully yearly. Uh, We have general physicians we go see for uh, physical once a year. Find someone who is proficient, be a social worker, therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist in trauma specifically and see them once a year to be proactive. Because quite often, I'm not going to go see or talk to the person the department sends me to. Correct. And, and the reason why is because their mission is to protect the department, not me. Correct. Yeah, and I, I, right. I'm not saying to be mean or vindictive. Understand it what's is, happening. It is what it is. It is what it is. And I mm-hmm. get why departments do that. I, we have a responsibility to make sure that we have the best, most professional officers on the street. And they do the best job possible for their people. So I get that. So you got ordered to go see or given the option to see a departmental psychiatrist, Correct. Yes. So I had to see that. I also had to get evaluated by the department. So like you said, they sent me to, I think, two or three of their own doctors that they chose to determine whether I was unfit for duty mentally. Uh, I remember I was having a lot of nightmares, which is part of the PTSD, a lot of nightmares where it was the same exact incident, but the players were different. Like it was a different life that I couldn't save. Like at one point it was like a security guard at another shooting. It was just, but it was like constant nightmares. And I would wake up fighting and punching walls. And it was so all of this stuff, I ended up getting evaluated by three different doctors or two, I think, 
that were selected by the department who determined that I was unfit for duty and that I could no longer do the job due to PTSD, severe depression, panic and anxiety attacks. They put me on all these prescribed meds and the department then denied my medical pension. Yeah. So I, I thought had, it was going to ask. That's a, a, and this wasn't that long ago. This was in 2016. Yeah. We're not talking about the 1980s here. We're not talking Correct. about the 90s. So you were right. basically drummed out of the department. Yeah, basically, I got the I got an attorney. However, you got to realize as I'm trying to get an attorney and fight for this, I haven't even managed to grieve the loss of Jakai, and I also want to die. So it's like I don't care, you know. But I'm but I knew that I had to fight for it because I knew like what am I going to do afterwards? And so the the lawyer tried to fight until the point that he couldn't, and essentially I got terminated for that day. So you were yeah. fired, basically for mm-hmm. nothing you did wrong. No. Not for cause, not because you were, you know, scumbag police, none of that stuff. You were, this is unavoidable. It was not your fault. And you were fired and then shown the door. Yes. And then to add insult to injury, they had a valor award ceremony for all the, like the officers that acted in valor that day. And I was not mentioned. I was not invited. I was not, nothing at all. Zero. Don't even get me started. Don't even get yeah. me started on command staff. The whole, yeah, the whole thing. Um, you know, and at the time, I was living with just hating myself. So I was like, this, that's what I get because I couldn't save him. Why would they honor me? I'm the one that let him die. You know, that's the way my mind was thinking at the time. However, where I'm at now, that's wrong. But you, you between like then and leaving the department and now, and we'll get to what you're doing now in a few moments, mm-hmm. you had a train wreck of a life. Yes. I mean, I hate to put it that way. That's really, if you want to imagine a dumpster fire out of control, that was Bev's life. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I ended up leaving Maryland. I got upset with the entire state. So I left Maryland. Then I got upset with the whole country. I left and I stayed in El Salvador where I picked up surfing and that being in the water, that connection with water saved my life. I came back to Maryland However, I did not want to be in Maryland, so I drove to Florida 16 hours on my own, by myself. I have no family, friends, no work, nothing lined up down there, uh, down here is where I'm at now still. And I figured it out. Um, Spend some days not having anything to eat, uh, not having anywhere to sleep, not having any work, and just kind of figuring it out. And I had an option. I could choose one path or I can choose another path. And knowing... What me and Jakai went through, you know, he's a hero, I'm a hero, and I couldn't let this, I couldn't let us down. So I started doing the work, and, you know, the universe is crazy, or God, whatever you believe in, how it aligns you, but it aligned me in such a way where I ended up doing a training with the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, and they do a lot of meditation, mindfulness, guided imagery, and all of those things combined with the water swimming, surfing, sailing, it literally saved my life. And it wasn't the pills that I was taking. It wasn't the medicinal marijuana that I tried to get. None of that stuff. I didn't have to put anything in my body to find a a place of peace and healing. And at that moment, I realized, I think I just figured out the key to this life. I think, And I need to give this back. I need to pay it forward. First of all, there's, there's many similarities in your story and mine. You know, I was in Baltimore. Uh, about an hour and a half north of where Bev was working. Right. And I got hurt and retired, and I was I was shattered when I was done. And yeah. uh, was I stayed in Maryland for a couple more years and then left and went to Florida. And, yeah. 
You know, it's like I can't put enough distance between me and where these things happen. And when I went to visit Ireland for the first time, that's one of the few places in the world where I totally relaxed mentally, physically. And I began to realize, and this is many years later. I mean, we're talking almost 30 years later. I began to realize the solution to a lot of my problems, and I was doing much better, was my state of mind. That's it. State of mind. It has to be a shift of mindset. But that shift, whew, figuring that out, that's the hard that's a part. T- Look, a lot of brothers is, and sisters don't get there. Man, they don't even want to, you know, we don't even want to accept that we have a problem, right? Because it's like, you're the reason why I do this, or you're the reason. Well, we got to take ownership, and we have to also accept that we need help. There's That's so hard. much I want to do with Bev. And I met Bev at Shatterproof for first responders in Deerfield Beach. And we're like, we got to have you on the show. Before yeah, we talk about what you. they do, what you do there, let's talk about shieldus.app. Sure. So what ended up happening is, you know, going through what I was going through, I noticed that there was a gap in services. I did have suicidal ideations after my attempt. And I said, no, Bev. You've done the work. You know how to do this. So I started to kind of Google, well, I also understand that the science, like you said, right, maybe getting a therapist, that's important. Like, I have to do the work, too. I started to Google even just grief groups, and I couldn't find anything uh, related to first responders. At that moment, I decided I need to create something, and I decided what better than to do a retreat where I I would offer these holistic practices and services to first responders at a retreat away from their normal area, no cell phones, and you're just in it, like really in it, emotional breakdown, vulnerable, no judgment zone, and leave that stuff out there and lay it out there with some tools and takeaways. So I started to, my my wheels started spinning and I just created it on top of that. I started thinking about peer support training and how my peer support team maybe could have handled some things differently. So I started to think. You're much more politically correct than I am. You, you I'm are. I'm trying to be, man. I'm trying really to be. Good at this. <laughs> I'm really trying to be. We, we so are very everybody's much. Everybody's trying. Yeah, we're very much a work in progress. And before we wrap up, because we're running out of time, I want to say yes. two things. Number one, thank you for your service. I, I, I forgot you. to say that earlier. You are a hero, and there's no doubt about it. Your heroic work continues with shieldus.app. Yes. And also, Uh, leading groups at Shatterproof where you help save lives and people don't understand that. They're coming in with substance abuse and mental health so I facilitate groups with them and it's a very beautiful thing. Get more details about Shatterproof at fhehealth.com. Look at the programs look for Shatterproof. First responders helping first responders. Bev, I really appreciate you coming on the show talking about a really intense difficult topic is very much appreciated and i look forward to working with you more in the future thank you so much for this opportunity and i'm just here to break the stigma and end the suicide epidemic amongst us and essentially be the person i never had for every other first responder that may be suffering in silence so thank you for this platform i'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the law enforcement today radio show The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.